0: Good morning, happy solstice, and God be with you on this the longest day of what has surely been the longest year ever. As a friend recently commented, uh, he said that uh, telling his spouse he'd be making dinner from the pandemic rations because he forgot to get groceries before the police curfew uh, was classified under things he never imagined saying. But here we are, in light of the ongoing pandemic, the horrific lynching of Rayshard Brooks in our city, the observance of Juneteenth, National LGBTQ Pride Week, Father's Day, and Refugee Ministry Sunday here at All Saints, there is no shortage of sermons to preach, sermons to hear this week, more than there are hours in the day. So I invite you to ponder in your heart this morning, where is the Spirit speaking to you on your journey? If we're paying attention to the world around us, there is no denying that the struggle for racial justice remains at the forefront of our common life. In order to engage honestly and wholeheartedly in conversations around race, I found that it can be immensely helpful to begin with simply identifying and owning one's own social location in the conversation. As I consider the confluence of Father's Day and Refugee Ministry Sunday in particular, I am filled with awe as I give thanks for my own father's journey as one who fled the country of Myanmar, Burma, after five years as a political prisoner and an entire year in solitary confinement, to find a home here in the US, where he met my mother, a white woman from Tennessee. Oddly enough, it was my, albeit nominally, Buddhist dad who wanted me to have a spiritual community as a child. And long story short, I landed here in the Episcopal Church, a fitting compromise between Buddhism and my maternal Baptist roots. Of course, that's the 32nd, polished-up, made-for-motion-picture version of my family history. The extended version includes divorce, blended families, and a somewhat fraught mixture of certain hardships and privileges along the way. As a non-black, multi-race person of color in the United States, My story is more complex than simple checkboxes or categories might accommodate. I acknowledge that I will never have quite all the privileges of being white, nor all the disadvantages of being black. I fit somewhere in the middle of the spectrum of racial hierarchy in America. And I will be the first to tell you that as I seek to own and understand my story, as it relates to race, that such an acknowledgement only begins to scratch the surface of the complexity therein. You know, one of the things that I most admire and value about this community of faith is that it is one that appreciates nuance. And each of our stories, individual and collective, is more nuanced than our deeply polarized, and polarizing society would have us to recall. Whatever the matter at hand, very few of us fall in at the most extreme end of any given conversation. We bring a wide variety of experiences, perspectives, and biases to God's table. But whatever your story, you are welcome here as we seek to grow more fully into the image of Christ together more fully into love. The Bible calls us to own the whole of our origin stories. If Father's Day is difficult for you, as it is for many, you are in good company with Ishmael and Hagar today in Genesis, Abraham's Egyptian slave mistress and first son, who, though deemed illegitimate and sent away by the one We call the father of our faith, Abraham, yet found favor with the Lord. Surely a comfort and assurance on this refugee ministry Sunday, in which we denounce xenophobia in all its forms, and in particular the Islamophobia, which continues to degrade and oppress so many of our Muslim siblings, the spiritual descendants of Ishmael, with whom, though despite our real differences— We ultimately share one God, who is Father, Mother, Maker of us all. You know, I've never seen this story in Sunday school murals or stained glass windows. And yet, faithful engagement with Scripture demands, we claim, demands, we claim, the parts of our narrative we would rather ignore, rewrite, or dismiss parts we don't mention in polite company. As people of faith in the living God, our present moment demands we reckon with the unfiltered realities that have shaped our own families, institutions, and societies, namely the systemic racism and white supremacy that has not only shaped this nation but continues to infect it. The systemic racism and white supremacy for which there is no vaccine. None are fully immune. It is a sinking boat, and we must continually rid it of water. As Americans, we must ask, what does it mean to inhabit a nation built by the unpaid labor of captured and enslaved Africans on stolen land? With repercussions we continue to experience in the overwhelming overwhelming disparities of educational, medical, civic, and economic resources available to black communities in contrast to whites, as COVID has so starkly illustrated. And as a predominantly white Episcopal church, what does it mean to be the heirs of a denomination, the Church of England, known not only for its glorious liturgy and soaring music, but also for the empirical Christian colonization and subsequent cultural erasure in much of the globe. What are the stories about ourselves we tell ourselves and others? More importantly, what are the stories we leave out? For Jesus said, Nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. In the words of Will Smith, racism is not getting worse, it's getting filmed. To grapple with our roots is to face what has always been. The truth revealed can be unsettling, uncomfortable, unpleasant. It is much more pleasant to turn away, to keep the peace, to practice social distance from such issues from the virus, that is white supremacy. And yet, Jesus' words today are hauntingly poignant. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. Peace, not a sword. If it was a protest sign, the people might well ask exactly what Jesus meant. A sentiment that demands nuance, to be sure. Martin Luther King Jr.'s sermon on this text vehemently rejected any interpretation That might promote bodily and physical violence. But so too did he preach against an easy peace. An obnoxious peace, he called it. As he reminded us that true peace. True peace. Deep peace. That peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is not a passive peace. That true peace is not the absence of tension, but indeed the presence of justice. It is not merely a polite peace. It takes work, it takes courage, it takes commitment, it takes practice. For practice makes peace. A reminder that as much as we miss the smiles and hugs, I wonder if passing the peace in person... Might have not come just a bit too easily before the pandemic. Not peace, but a sword. And the result? Man against father, daughter against mother, one's foes will be members of one's own household. Many of you know this pain all too well. I have heard your stories, I've heard your frustration and sadness and lament as you've sought to avoid or overcome estrangement while still speaking truth and seeking that deep peace with and among those you love the most, still speaking the sacred truth that all lives cannot matter until black lives matter, because black lives matter to God. The beginning of this chapter in Matthew starts with Jesus commissioning his disciples for a service learning project as they are sent out to heal, to cast out demons, to offer peace, to travel together two by two with empty hands and open hearts, freely giving and freely giving themselves away along their journey to be witnesses to the kingdom of God at hand to practice their way into the deep peace of God. This is the work we too have been given to do. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Sent out like sheep among wolves, Jesus says, it is daunting work, it is scary work, but Jesus gives us everything we need. Most of all, he gives us his very own presence. True to character, Jesus echoes the angels in his consistent encouragement Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not be afraid, especially, especially of one another. You know, most of us don't come to church, if we're honest, because we're seasoned social activists looking for a place to ground our activism. There are far more credible institutions than the church, if that's what we were primarily looking for. No, most of us, I think, are here because at some point, somehow, God has come to us through friendships, through community, through music, through hymns, through healing and communion, through whispers in our heart. And I pray that God might touch each of us afresh, even this day. Jesus says, though, that what God has spoken to you in whispers, now shout it from the rooftops. Don't keep it to yourself. God wants to turn our faith inside out. That love, that peace, that the justice we have known might flow from our hearts as believers like a mighty river, Scripture says. We might be called to some hard conversations In the days ahead, some confrontation, some discord on the road, we will wonder whether it is worth it. I had a beloved seminary professor who would often remind us that if our Christianity isn't costing us something, then it isn't Christianity. It will cost. And it's only worth it if God is real in our lives. Our passage ends today with what I believe is the heart of Jesus' message. Those who find their lives will lose them. And those who lose their lives, for my sake, will find it. For Rayshard's sake. For George's sake. For Ahmad's sake. For Brianna's sake. For Jesus' sake. Who will you live for? What will it cost? Ultimately, Jesus asked us for everything. None of us are there yet, but little by little, as we trust God to open our hands and open our hearts just a little more each step of the way, we can practice our way into a hope and a peace and a love that lacks nothing. There's a reason the writer of Hebrews likened the Christian life to an athlete running a race, because our kingdom muscles, our peace muscles, take training just a little further, a little heavier, a little faster, a little more each time as we grow together into the full stature of Christ. As we seek to continue the challenging, imperfect, often uncomfortable work of dismantling racism in our world, I believe that God is inviting us to more. What that looks like for you, I don't know. It could be as simple as conversations with family members or elected officials. It could be as drastic as a change of direction in your career or intentional lifestyle changes that empower you to draw your circle even wider even more diverse, just a shade braver, our friend Dr. Catherine Meeks is fond of saying. Whatever it looks like, I pray that we may have grace to hear God this day and take just one step further on the journey towards the endless day of God's kingdom come. Amen.